my friend was broke. She didn't know what to do or where to turn. I'm Nora Ellen. The reason I began this podcast called Women Starting Over is to help women like my friend who find themselves in financial hardship, like divorce, or lost their job or went bankrupt, or maybe, sadly, their husband passed away. You will love these real-life stories of my guests of how they went from being broke to hope to financial success. If she can do it, so can you. Here we go. I met my guest at a book convention. We are both authoring books. I remember seeing her thinking, that gal looks like she's got a lot on the ball. She was dressed professionally. She was smiling. And I could tell she was very personable. I went up and I introduced myself to her. That's what I do when I see somebody that I think is interesting. I go up to them and said, hi, just kind of noticed you across the room and wondered if I could introduce myself and find out what you're about. Who doesn't love to have somebody come up to them and say, you look interesting. I'd like to get to know you. I am so glad I did. She is truly amazing. She has a business that she started called Riker Opportunity Institute, where they help business owners invest in emotional intelligence in their employees. She started this 23 years ago. So she helps companies across different industries, including Fortune 500 companies, increase customer satisfaction scores, annual revenue, and productivity. What I like, too, is she was awarded the Athena Award. And that is like a national organization where they pick women who are nominated for this award. And these women have to be excellent in business, leadership, and service to their communities. And Dana Jackson, welcome. Congratulations on winning the Athena Award. I think that's an absolutely incredible honor. Yes, it's actually an international organization as well. Okay. I knew it was national. I meant to look it up before getting on the podcast, but that's that's even better to win that award in 2013, I believe it was. So that is phenomenal. And I want to tell our friend listening, the reason I have women on this podcast like Dana, who's been in business for 23 years after starting over when facing a financial hardship is so you have hope that these women didn't just start over and know they're okay for two years or three years and then it flopped and they went bankrupt. (laughs) These are women who figured out how to start a business and stay in it for the long haul and be successful. Women who are empowered around money and income. And Dana is going to share. I always have my guests start of how they're being raised, and take it away, Dana. How I was raised? Is that what you want to know? Right. Well, how you were raised, especially when it came to business or entrepreneurship or money, were there ways that you maybe were impacted negatively or positively around money and income? Well, that's a very interesting question. I grew up in Media, Pennsylvania, and my father, we moved us to this area 
to go to work for Boeing Vertol, which I think most people are familiar with that company. He was a test pilot for their helicopters and a mechanical engineer. So we were your typical suburban family. Really, we looked like, if anybody recalls the Leave it to Beaver, we were like the perfect family on the outside. We had many issues happening on the inside of the household, but not that anybody else would see or even imagine were occurring. And our, I, I, as far as the money piece goes, it's very an interesting question because I think my parents were on two opposite ends of that spectrum. I think my dad approached life and the world from a position of abundance and that uh, never really worried about money too much. And yet my mom was on the opposite end where she was always concerned about money, always concerned about having enough, always concerned about saving enough. And um, so that, that was a, a bone of contention for them <laughs> um, frequently in, in their marriage and, and with our family growing up. I do come from a very entrepreneurial background. My grandmother on my mother's side was the first, one of the first women to sell freezers when freezers were first introduced. Oh, that's interesting. And on my father's side of the business, uh, my great grandfather was the inventor of the first electric car. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's incredible, Dana. <laughs> Yeah, so I do have definitely the entrepreneurial, creative, look for a problem and figure out how to make it better. That's definitely part of my DNA. And that's exactly what an entrepreneur is, right? You find a problem, you help it help to solve it for people. Did your mom and dad work then or or just your dad when you say he came from the place of abundance and your mom more from scarcity, I would say? Correct. So um, initially, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, uh, but then unfortunately, my parents divorced, and then my mom obviously had to to go to work. Um, so she was actually a uh, interior designer. She worked for Ethan Allen Furniture Store mm-hmm. for many, many years. Nice. And um, so I, I learned pretty early on when I was in high school, my mom had a really hard time finding a job after my parents divorced to, to support she and I, my sisters were already off at college. And so the message I got very loud and clear was make sure you go to school for something that you are guaranteed you'll be able to get a job when you graduate. Right. That is the message, right? Whether you like it or not, you don't even have to like the job. Just be sure to be able to get one. (laughs) Right. Which is exactly what I did. I went to school for dental hygiene Mm -hmm. and I hated it. But my grandmother bet me that I would quit before I was finished my education. So I had to prove her wrong. (laughs) Wow. And I worked for dental in dental hygiene for about a year and a half, and I just I just hated it. Mm. I just couldn't do it. 
but I did get a job. <laughs> I was I was employed right out of school. Good for you. What now? How? Oh, okay. Being the a dental hygienist. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know that's that's interesting with your your grandma making a bet. I wonder what what her motives were. And oftentimes, then we get thrown into situations when it comes to money making out of fear. And mm-hmm. if if our root reason for income and money comes from a place of fear or disapproval, trying to prove something, we don't have that freedom that that we need to be successful. It's something that we have to break through. Right. And we had this attitude of more of a victim attitude of I have to instead of I get to. Right. That's a really good point. Okay. And nobody wants to have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, especially here here in America. <laughs> I know right. I don't want to have to do something. It does take some of the joy out of it. Although work, work is work. That's why we call it work. Even if there is something that you love to do, there's times when we do have to kind of push ourselves to get through part of the work that may not be as enjoyable as every everything, but it's it helps to look at challenges apparently the way you are now where it is something enjoyable and strengthening to to get over so okay so you were a dental hygienist you hated that job and then what did you do well thankfully i've had a lot of wonderful mentors in my life and not uh, actually not always female many times male mm-hmm. And I had a gentleman who said to me, well, you know, you're great with people. So why don't you think about going into sales? Hmm. He said, you could work for a dental company and use the knowledge that you gained from going to dental hygiene school and and working as a dental hygienist for a year and a half and sell dental products. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of a good idea. I think I'll pursue that. And this was during a time, people might have a hard time believing this now, but then again, maybe not, in the early 80s, where very few women were in sales positions, outside sales positions. They might have been in customer service or Mm -hmm. inside sales, but very few women were in outside sales. Mm -hmm. And so it really was actually an advantage that my middle name was Lawrence. So Dana Lawrence Riker, that could be male or female, but most people thought it was male. So that got me in the door for a lot of interviews that I otherwise would never have gotten. As a matter of fact, I remember going on one interview where I walked into the office and the person that I was going to be interviewing with said to his secretary, send him in. And she looked at me like, should I tell him? (laughs) (laughs) That's an awkward moment. (laughs) And I said, no, don't tell him. But that was my very pompous, prideful, early (laughs) 20s year old. And needless to say, that was not a good decision because you never want to embarrass the person that you're So consequently, 600 rejection letters later, I finally got my first opportunity for an outside sales position. Wow. And did quite well at it. 
actually went from various different companies and various different aspects of dental sales to um, finally working for 3M in their dental products division. A lot of people don't even realize they have a dental products division. I didn't know that. Is that the Scotch Tape Company or what? Right. Post-it notes, Scotch Tape. (laughs) Mask, ND, ND, ND95 mask manufacturer. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, and thankfully, a lot of the companies that I worked for really believed in investing in their, their employees and were wonderful at doing training and development. I got all of the best sales courses oh. I could have ever gone through, all of the premium sales courses that were being offered at that time, I got to experience. And I remember sitting in the training, looking at the facilitators and thinking to myself, that's what I want to do someday. That's, that's who Mm -hmm. I want to be. Wow. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's, um, you mentioned the 600 rejection letters. So tell us more about that. How did you keep yourself uh, motivated? (laughs) That's a lot of rejection. Well, I guess I was cut out for sales because you get a lot of rejection in sales and you have to just keep on going. I I know I I was given a mug one time that um, the sales process begins when the customer says no and Yeah. (laughs) And so I think I just was, I'm a very determined soul. I'm a very persistent and tenacious soul just by nature. Mm -hmm. And I think the more I'm told no, the harder I work to get a yes. So, um, yeah, so I think, um, I think that was it. And I just had enough people believing in me. And I guess I believed enough in myself that I could be successful at this, that I just kept plugging along until the window opened. Wow, that is fabulous, Dana. And I think that is going to be very inspiring for our friend who is listening. Don't give up. I have a little plaque on my desk that says, never, never, never (laughs) give up. It's kind of like that three feet from gold book where this person owned land and they thought they had gold on their land and they dug and dug and dug and gave up, sold the land. And it turned out they were just three feet away from striking that gold vein and and striking it rich. I love the part where you mention about your mentor. I also had, I've had both female male mentors and there was a couple male mentors that really helped me in my journey when I started over one of the times I, I think I'm on my fourth or fifth starting over <laughs> when I uh, was writing my book I realized there was a time I was starting over that I, I forgot about that time it was it was actually starting over what mm-hmm. your mentor said which is what one of my mentors said too is use your experience there's no experience even if you hate it like you hated being a dental hygienist and hear that experience helped you get to where you want to go. So there's no there's no wasted experience anywhere. I think it's No, you just have to learn for what can I learn from this experience and what you know, what can I take with me? 
Can I tell you another little story, too, that I think yes. maybe helped with my persistence in all of that? Yes. My sisters were very devout Christians, and they kept trying to get me to believe um, in Jesus and, and in God. And I, at the time that I was applying for all these sales positions, I was running out of money. And I finally was getting to the point where I was really one month away from having absolutely no money to pay for food, to pay my rent. Um, and I was really, and I had no one to go to, to ask for a loan. I had no family member that could give me a loan. And so I remember thinking, well, my sisters say that, you know, all I need is this, this Jesus person. So maybe I'll give this a try and ask him, you know, if you're really for real, you know, my next interview, I'll get the job and, you know, I'll be able to pay my rent. And sure enough, I said that prayer. And sure enough, the next interview, I was chosen over two other more experienced people. <laughs> and my manager that was hiring me advanced me my first paycheck so that I could pay oh. my rent and never asked for the money back. Oh, oh, wow. That's, that's a phenomenal story. That is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. That's very important. Yep. So praying and having faith also helps. <laughs> it absolutely does. Okay, so that was your first job. Now, is that what you mean when you were then going to different appointments and used your name, Lawrence, that helped you? Right. So when I was interviewing for my first sales position, by having a middle name of Lawrence, Dana Lawrence Riker, it opened doors for interviews that I otherwise probably never would have been considered. Okay, great. And how long did you have that job? until you were going more out on your own? Well, I uh, worked for, let's see, one, two, three, four different dental companies in the 15 years that I was doing dental sales until I had an opportunity to purchase and operate a plastics fabrication business. Oh, wow. That's different. <laughs> Did that happen to do with dental equipment or just something totally different? Something totally different. Oh, I love it. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I actually married a gentleman who was in a family business in plastics distribution, and his father was having an issue. There was two sons in the business. And he was having a hard time deciding which son would take over the business. And so one of his vendors did a lot of custom plastic fabrication, making acrylic cases for aquariums and retail stores, and also doing piping systems for filtration for computer trips. I mean, computer chips. And so this vendor was looking to sell his business. So that became a solution for his son that I had married. And we always had a dream that we would own a business together. So we purchased this business that we renamed Future Plastics. And I owned and operated a plastic fabrication business for four years. 
Great. And I'd never been in the plastics industry before. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, that just goes to show, really, you don't have to, you know, it's starting over. You can use your experience and you don't even have to be the one that created a product or, or certainly understands it. You just have to know who the people are that need to find you that you're solving these problems for them, <laughs> for what right. they need. Right. Yep. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And the part that I loved the most really was was managing and developing the people that were working with us. Wow. I loved to have our staff meetings. I love to set goals with them. I love to challenge them. I love to come alongside and work with them if we had a deadline to meet. I just really love that aspect of running the business. And yet the number one complaint that I got from clients was, I love my business if I didn't have to deal with my employees. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, hmm, uh-huh. <laughs> this is quite interesting. This is the part of running my business that I love. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, it, it it just kind of got the wheels turning a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, it is true what they say. If you don't have a strong marriage, don't go into business with your husband. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, because it it does take a toll on the marriage. And so we did end up dissolving the marriage. And I was asked by my father-in-law if I would be the one to leave the business because my ex-husband had no other way of making a living, whereas I had other avenues of creating income. And so my financial advisor at the time said, well, have you ever wanted to start your own business? And I was like, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. I've always wanted to have a training and development business. And he said, well, now is the time to do that because you can't make any money for a year if you don't want to pay your husband alimony. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I said, okay, then I guess now's the time for me to start. And that was the birth of Riker Opportunity Institute. Wow. That is awesome. Good for you to be willing to take the plunge rather than like the safe road, go back, go back to your old ways, kind of rebound, go back, get employed by somebody, choose choose security. It takes risk and and willingness to believe in yourself and go with what people encourage you to do. That's wonderful. And even with that, I I actually have reinvented myself three times okay. <laughs> in the in the process. Three because... three starting over stars for you. <laughs> <laughs> because when I first started the business, I called it sales at your service, and I did mostly sales and customer service training because that's where the majority of my background had been. Mm-hmm. but quickly realized that the work that I was doing wasn't having any kind of sustainability within the organization if it wasn't supported by leadership. Ah. So I realized I needed to address organizational issues at the leadership level and met a gentleman, another mentor 
who had an outstanding leadership program that I became certified in Mm -hmm. and started really focusing on leadership development of organizations. So I renamed my business Solutions for Your Success, which ended up being a mouthful. uh, And also people thought I was a life coach. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So then in 2012, I think it was, was when I first met Raymond Aaron. I bought the 10-10-10 program to write my first book, which I still haven't accomplished yet, but I'm determined I'm going to do this year. Yes, you are. And, <laughs> um, and rebranded my business because I, I went to a branding and marketing boot camp that he was doing in North Carolina. Uh, at High Point University, and he was suggesting that you always create a company name with your name in it because it's easier to get a URL because, you know, people have come up with all sorts of creative names and it's hard to get something original that hasn't already been taken. Right. So I was trying to think of what I could do with my name in order to rename my business And that's when I came up with Riker Opportunity Institute, because when you acronym that, it's ROI, which is return on investment. Oh, that's And that's what my clients will experience when they practice the leadership and communication skills that I teach to organizations. What a great idea. I love that. That is so easy to remember. ROI. We love to have a return on our investment. So that's... Exactly. And I'm, a, I'm appealing to CEOs and CFOs in yes. the C-suite. So that's what they care most about. That's true. And you were right about you have to reach the leadership level of a company in order to really be able to have your service be appreciated and welcomed and used rather than other people. So it's really important when you do approach companies with what you have to offer that you do get to the top, to the decision maker, to the one that has the vision for the company. Right. And you may have to be the one that's a little bit of the work that I do too, is helping them to really clarify their vision Mm. and revisit if the vision that they once had is still relevant for today. Yes, that's really true. And how you managed and developed your people in your plastics company, which helped make it very successful, is really important. I met a woman, her name is Judy Sellers, whose husband had a business that was just doing okay. And she had retired from something else and just started getting involved in the business that her husband had. And at that time, they had like five employees. But after she got involved and, and was working closely with them, the employees and finding out what their passions were and started to build them up and give them goals, they went from five employees to 67, took the company from making hundreds of thousands of dollars to being a multi-million dollar company and sold it. <laughs> So mm-hmm. how we work with our employees is so important. And that's why what you do is really vital for companies to be successful. It is. It's just getting them to realize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I think, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting with this whole COVID-19 
pandemic, how it will impact companies' view of their people, you know, because there are the essential businesses are clamoring to keep their employees. And then you have businesses that are struggling to survive financially who want to keep their employees, but most likely will have to let them go or already have let them go. Mm -hmm. And what I think many companies need to realize is that no matter what position you're in, in today's environment, having that trusted relationship with your employees where they have no doubt how much you care about them, not only just as a worker, but as a person. Yes, it's true. That is going to be the key difference to your surviving and thriving beyond this pandemic. That's true, because if your employees feel loyal to you, they'll wait versus don't feel any loyalty. And look, I have an opportunity over here. I've got to go get that to survive. Absolutely. I'm already seeing it happen. Wow. Wow. (laughs) With many of, I I facilitate a leadership program for a local mainline um, chamber and, uh, I'm already seeing that happen with some of its participants because there's a disconnect between the emotional connection that that person has with their leadership. Yeah. And this is a a time to connect, and it's not too late for anyone listening, our listener. If you do have a company and you've had to lay off your employees or they haven't even been able to come into work, such as a, a dental company that I help with their needs as far as training and client acquisition and client retention. Well, patient, they call them patients <laughs> in the dentist. And and I asked her, well, what are you doing to stay in touch? Because we do have Zoom and we have Facebook. We have all kinds of ways to stay in touch intimately where it's just them in a little Facebook group or something. And it's so easy to do and it's free. <laughs> so take advantage and ask them, what are their concerns? What are, uh, let's listen to them instead of saying, well, this is what we're going to do. They'll have some good ideas. Well, what do you think we need to do to survive this? What can we improve? And uh, so what you're saying is absolutely important. Well, and not only that, but to offer encouragement, like my dentist actually just sent out a newsletter and had two videos embedded in the newsletter, which was fabulous. One of the videos was one of the dentists explaining the importance of maintaining good oral health Mm -hmm. and that your oral health is the window to your whole physical health. And then she gave a demonstration on on proper flossing techniques and and how important it is to floss every day. And, And she did it in a very entertaining way. And then the second video was all of the staff saying, hello, this is what we're doing during the pandemic. This is our quarantine activity. This is how we're improving ourselves. How are you improving yourselves? And we miss you and we'll see you soon. And it was just so touching. You know, they they just had each staff person sharing different bits and pieces of their life in quarantine. And it was it was really just so moving and caring and encouraging. 
That is a really good point. And there's something about seeing and hearing people rather than reading an email. And you can Uh start a YouTube channel, do YouTube videos, and like you said, just put them in your emails and send them out to people. That is a fabulous idea. Very simple, inexpensive, and yet staying in touch because I, I have been telling my friend, you got to you got to email your clients and call them on their birthdays. Who ha- who gets right. a phone call on on your birthday from people? It's usually a little postcard in the mail, but something to set yourself apart like that. So that was a great example to share. Yeah. So I thought they really did a good job with that. <laughs> Tell us more. So that leads me to where I am today. Once yeah. again, reinventing myself because yeah. I'm I now. You know, I used to do all of my deliveries in person, and now Uh I would say that 80% of my deliveries will be virtual now. Okay. That is another reinventing starting over. (laughs) Yeah. 80%. (laughs) And how are you going to do that? Well, thankfully, a lot of my programs kind of lend themselves to um, doing online delivery. So I'm not, it's really learning just which platform is going to be the best one for me to invest in, uh, which I'm, I'm slowly narrowing down. Uh, but so I'm doing a lot of learning, a lot of investigating right now. And then, and then it'll be just, uh, marketing and, and reaching out to people and saying, you know, this is, and, and also prioritizing, what content is really meeting the most important need right now? Mm-hmm. And I think you hit the nail on the head at, at the beginning. It's, it's emotional intelligence. Yes. Uh, because I am just seeing people's reactions to the quarantine and the, the broad spectrum of reactions that you're seeing just leads me to believe that the level of emotional intelligence, which to me, it, how I define emotional intelligence is your ability to respond to things in an, um, with your emotions in a way that is productive Mm -hmm. and more positive and doesn't derail and destroy, but instead builds up and encourages. And I'm finding that a lot of, I mean, we're wired to be negative anyways. It's kind of a protective mechanism that is wired into our the design of the human brain and emotional intelligence is learning how to override that when it's not working for us and yes. when it's actually working against us. Yes, that is absolutely well said. Emotional intelligence. And that's a good definition to, to remember because we need to be aware of what our thoughts are because our thoughts lead to our feelings which lead to actions, with which lead to results. I had a sign on my office one time that said, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> Just because we have a thought doesn't mean that has to be a reality or sometimes we have a thought and we put a story to it. And it's a negative story instead of, instead of a positive story. And we all, all need to be working on our emotional intelligence. So that was a wonderful thing to share. And as we wrap up, this went so fast, (laughs) 
Is there anything very fast? (laughs) Is there anything else you want to share with our friend listening that maybe we didn't cover? Um, I would say just really think about what brings you joy and don't be afraid to figure out a way to make a living at, at doing what you love. Because in today's world, there's so many different opportunities. You're really only limited by your imagination and your courage to step forth and take a risk and give it a try. That is incredible advice. I am taking notes, and I absolutely (laughs) agree with you. The thing I like about your company also is the person that's listening, our friend, can use your company and what you help with because you do work with people across the country, just not there in Pennsylvania. I think you're in Pennsylvania, right? Yes, yes. I'm in Pennsylvania. Yes, I work nationally. And probably now with virtually, I will be going global. <laughs> okay, that's wonderful. <laughs> that is a great goal, Dana, and I know you can do it. I know you're great at what you do. And like I said at the beginning, I... I was attracted to you in that I I could tell from your your demeanor and your presence is this woman serious? She means she means business, and that's that's the kind of people I like to surround myself with because we become like those that that we surround ourselves with. Well, I'm just very passionate about making a positive difference in people's lives, and with the work that I do, that's that's what I get to do every day. Well, that is wonderful, and I know you're fantastic at it. And thank you so much for doing this interview. And thank you to our listener. Bye-bye. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Bye for now. Well, my friend, thank you for letting me be with you today. Please leave a review so that women that need help can find this podcast. I am Nora Ellen, your host. See you next time on Women Starting Over.